Hello everybody and welcome back to Forget Me Not The Missing Podcast. I hope you're all well. I hope you've had a good couple of weeks. So I know at the end of the last episode I was debating who I was going to do this week. And then I was actually talking to one of my best friends, shout out to Stacey. And we were talking about this case and I realised it's a super interesting. So I decided to do this one. It's not the woman from Cardiff that I said it would be. It's a completely different one. It's actually a young male about the same age as me. So without further ado, let's get into the disappearance of Corey McKeague. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. I'm going to say Corey. I think that's how you say it. He was born on the 16th of September 1993 in Perth in Scotland. And he actually disappeared on the 24th of September 2016 at the age of 23. Corey was a RAF regiment gunner and he had a young child. And he actually went missing in the Bury St Edmunds area of Suffolk where he was stationed at the time. Now the investigation into Corey's disappearance was actually one of the most expensive missing persons investigations that has actually been conducted by Suffolk Police and it's cost 2.1 million pounds. So let's get into actually what happened when Corey disappeared. Corey had been drinking with his friends in Bury St Edmunds, as I said. He'd driven himself into the town and he planned to leave his car there overnight. They'd gone to this club called Flex, where he lost his friends because he got too drunk and he ended up getting kicked out by the bouncers. But he was pleasant, there was no fighting, no arguing. He stood in the streets and had a conversation with the bouncers after he got kicked out. They said he was a nice enough guy. He was then seen at the Mamma Mia's Takeaway, which apparently was like a regular place for him to get his cheeky post-night out kebab or his cheesy chips and he was there between quarter past one and half past one in the morning. The last known sighting of him then was at 3.25 in the morning on Brent Govel Street walking into what's known as the horseshoe area. In this area there was a large number of wheelie bins which was of note and I'll discuss this in more detail later. However there was no footage showing him actually entering this area, it was just seeing him going towards this area. There was no CCTV either of him leaving this area. So it is assumed that he went into that area and that's the last place that he was. There's also CCTV footage of Corey sleeping in a doorway before waking up and moving on and this was prior to um, the 325 sighting. I'm not sure of the exact time of this but I think it must have been. So if he was seen between quarter past one and half one then wasn't as seen again until 25 past one. This must count for that two hours where he was. He must have been sleeping somewhere. So we assume he's pretty drunk at this point. Um, his base, RAF Hollington, was 10 miles from his location. So the police speculated that he was actually going to walk home because he couldn't drive his car, which seems strange to me. 10 miles is quite far. You'd think he would just get a taxi. And his mother apparently said that he had gotten so drunk in the past he'd slept in places, so this wasn't uncommon for him. But he'd never walked back or never known it's not known that he ever walked back to base so that would have been a bit out of character for him to have done that or decided to do that but then I suppose he was pretty intoxicated so you're not thinking straight because it was the weekend no one actually reported Corey missing and it was wasn't until he didn't report for work on the 26th on the Monday that he was actually reported missing so there are several theories into what could have happened to Corey the first one is the one that the police have put the most credence to and this is actually what they do think happened so the bin theory is in the early hours when Corey disappeared his phone had moved from Bury St Edmunds to Barton Mills which is a 12 mile area the phone data showed that it took 28 minutes therefore you would have been in a vehicle and not on foot 
The police had seized a bin lorry, because remember I said he went into the horseshoe area where there was lots of bins. So the police seized a bin lorry. It was believed that the phone could have been in that bin. And the initial theory the police had wasn't that just his phone was in the bin. It was actually that he himself was in the bin. They thought that he climbed into the bin to have a hip. Um, and then the bin had been collected by the lorry whilst he was in it. So initially, there was hesitation to search for his remains in the bin because the bin lorry that had travelled the route where his phone was pinging was estimated to only have been carrying 15 kilograms, which obviously is not enough. However, in March 2017, the police then discovered that it was actually recorded incorrectly and that the bin actually had 100 kilograms, which would obviously have been enough for an adult man as well as the waist. Now, I don't know how you accidentally record that much of a discrepancy. To me, something seems a bit dodgy there, in my personal opinion, because I don't understand how you can say something's 15 kilos and then say, oh no, it was 100 kilos. Like, that's quite a lot of difference. I'm not talking about 10 or 20 kilos here. <laughs> We're talking the weight of an adult, which is, I don't know, it seems a bit coincidental to me, but there we are. So the phone was switched off at 8 a.m. or it ran out of battery or was damaged. So it stopped pinging and the phone's not being located since and nor has Corey. So I'm going to come back to the bin theory later because, like I said, the police actually did put a lot of weight to this and they believe this is what happened. So they did centre their investigation around this quite a lot. So I'll leave it there for now and we'll come back to it when we talk about the investigation. So the second theory was that maybe he got a lift. People thought maybe, you know, he didn't obviously call a cab, which I don't get why he wouldn't have. If he did have his phone, it was obviously, you know, alive and pinging. It wasn't dead or flat, so there'd be no need for him to walk. He could have just called for a taxi. But anyways, they thought maybe he did, you know, see someone driving past, flagged them down, saying, can you give me a lift back to camp? And his mother actually said that this would not be out of character to him because he would being the one who would have seen somebody walking and given them a lift back. It was in his nature. So she thought like, yeah, that is quite potential that he did get into a car with somebody to get home and then something nefarious could have happened to him. But as far as I'm aware, nothing actually came of this theory. Like no one came forward saying they gave him a lift. They never identified anybody. I mean, obviously if this person did end up hurting him, they're not going to come forward. So, you know, I suppose is kind of a dead end unless they, unless they saw him going into a car or anything like that, but there was no CCTV showing him leaving uh, the horseshoe area. So the next theory was that he was actually murdered and his remains were in a suitcase. So on the 10th of October, which is a couple of weeks after he went missing, a dismembered and burnt body was found in a suitcase not far from where he actually went missing. So at first people thought, oh my God, it's Corey. But initial investigations did show it was a white male under 50. However, it wasn't Corey. The DNA came back that it was not the body. I don't know if they ever did name the body of who it was, but they were pretty certain that wasn't Corey. So they were like, not disputing that he could have been murdered. Well, the police don't think he was murdered. But um, yeah, this doesn't say that he wasn't murdered, I suppose. It just means that that body in that suitcase was not him. And I think that was pretty disheartening because... When it was announced a young, well, not young, but like a man under 50, sorry. Sorry if you're 50, there's me, like, you're not young. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a white male under 50 was in the suitcase. I think people thought, oh my God, we found him, we've got him. But then obviously it was not him, which I'm sure must have been pretty heartbreaking for the family. Because, you know, they still don't know where their son is or if he's alive, if he's dead or anything. Because at least if they did find out that was him, it would have been heartbreaking, but they would have, you know, been able to lay him to rest and have some sort of peace in their mind about what had happened to their son. 
So another theory was that he was killed by a vehicle whilst walking home. I mean, I don't know the area, so I don't know if there's CCTV of the route home, but I just kind of feel like if he was walking home, he would have been seen on CCTV. Um, yeah, I, but I don't know, because I don't know the area. I don't know if it's lit. I don't know if there's pavements. I don't know if there's cameras. But yeah, they thought maybe he was walking home, somebody hit him, killed him, panicked, and instead of, you know, calling the police because they didn't want to get done, they disposed of his body in the woodlands. And on December 2016, they did actually search the woodlands following this theory, and they searched five square miles of woodland between Barton Mills and RAF Honiton. Volunteers and staff from Search and Rescue actually searched the area, but by the 17th of December, they declared that the area was officially cleared because they found no body or no signs of Corey and I know this was pretty stressful for the mum because I think she thought that they would find him there from what I've understood from my research so yeah another another close not call but like the family have put the hopes so like this is him we found him his body's going to be here we can lay him to rest and then nothing's come of it so there was another theory which I don't have much about, but basically he was known to participate in swingers websites. So the police thought maybe that was a potential lead. Did he go to like a swingers party? Did he go, you know, to meet someone that he knew from the website? The family did pass over a login that they knew that he had or like a username that he knew he had for one of the sites. But again, nothing really came of this. I mean, I suppose you can't, discount this but it seems a bit weird that this would have happened anyway considering he was pretty drunk I can't imagine he was like steaming sleeping in alleyways and then be like oh yeah I'm just gonna call my swinger friends uh <laughs> yeah so anyways nothing came of that one so the next thing I want to talk to you about was whether he went AWOL away without leave from the military because he was fed up, didn't want to go back to work and decided to just leave. So a retired senior Metropolitan Police detective called Colin Sutton actually went on record saying that Corey's disappearance hadn't been intentional because there seemed to be no digital footprint of him making preparations to leave, which you normally find in this day and age. Obviously it wasn't as, it's not as easy to cover that sort of thing up now with the internet. Colin Sutton also said that Corey was shown walking into the horseshoe area, that cul-de-sac, that was blocked off by a high wall and a fence, and there was no CCTV of him then leaving it. So he doubted whether Corey would have been aware where the CCTV cameras were to like deliberately stage a sort of disappearance. Another thing that was put forward was that actually Corey was like really happy at the time, so he had no intentions or no like reasons to leave his last interaction with anybody was at 3:08 a.m on that day that he went missing where he made plans to meet up with his brother he's also had booked flights to go home for halloween and his mother had pointed out that he had a puppy and um, it was at raf honington and he wouldn't have left the dog behind intentionally so she didn't believe that he would have just up and left and not left made any provisions for the dog and also then in december 2016 it was revealed that none of his bank or social media accounts had been touched since the time of the disappearance so just everything around it just didn't seem to really make sense so they didn't believe that he deliberately gone AWOL. So like I said the investigation was mainly focused around this strange bin theory so let's get into the bin theory a little bit more. 
So in February 2017, police stated that they were starting to search the landfill site as they identified this place as the last place that his mobile phone pinged. So they don't know whether, you know, he was in the bin with his phone, but he they know that his phone was in that bin and it went to landfill. So what they said then, the police, was that they think he climbed into the bin, had a sleep, and then the biffer bin had come and crushed all the rubbish and crushed him to death while it you know, collected all the all the different rubbish bins and then took him to the landfill site where his remains are. So his family did initially say they did not believe this version of events. They pointed to the fact that he was proud of his appearance. So, you know, he wasn't like, I don't want to sound like smelly or whatever, you know, he didn't, him climbing into a bin would have been really out of character for him, for somebody who cared about his appearance. Like he's not wanting to climb in a bin. And his mum actually drew attention to the fact that he just had a two hour sleep and we knew that because he was on CCTV. So he just had a two hour sleep and woken up. If he wanted to carry on sleeping, why wouldn't he just carry on sleeping where he was? Why would he then walk to go and find a bin to sleep in? It seems a bit... I mean, I know people do crazy thing when they're drunk, but I've been in some states and I've never thought, you know what, I'm going to climb into a biffer bin and have a kip. It's just <laughs> not something that's ever crossed my mind. But I suppose, you know, you these things do happen, unfortunately. By May then of 2017, Suffolk Police had sifted through 3,000 tonnes of waste. And on the 5th of June, they announced that they were finding items from the right time and place of McKee's disappearance. So they've obviously by now located items that were in the bin. I don't know how they decipher. Maybe it was like letters with addresses or, you know, with times on. I don't know. But they managed to find waste that was corresponding to that area of that time. So they were hopeful that they would find something related to Corey. So by now, they searched 4,430 tons of waste but a police spokeswoman said the work is constantly being reviewed and as the search team are still finding items from the right time frame that are identifiable as coming from the town, the search will continue on a week-by-week basis. That was in June that they said that. So in July, on the 21st of July 2017, this was now 20 weeks into the search, Detective Superintendent Katie Elliott of Suffolk Constabulary announced at a press conference that the search of the landfill had come to an end and they'd had no positive results on finding Corey. They did note that they had found a human skull, which they thought might have been Corey's in April of 2017, but it was actually found to be from a female and dated back to before 1945, which is heartbreaking to me because that means that like something terrible has happened to a woman all that time ago and no, no one knows. Like I doubt they managed to find DNA on it from that time. I mean, maybe they, maybe they did, I don't know. Maybe they managed to identify through old uh, dental records or something i don't know i don't don't think they ever named who that woman was so it's pretty heartbreaking that somebody's been there in in landfill for all that time i just had a look because i was intrigued and it says that um please trace the person who the skull belonged to who sent the skull to landfill and deemed there to be no suspicious circumstances I mean, I personally find it a bit suspicious that you would send a human body off to landfill, but that's that's all it says about it, so there we are. <laughs> so I had to further look into that <laughs> because I was like, what, why, how have they managed to deem that as not suspicious? Um, but apparently it came from a man's house that'd been cleared out and he, like, collected curious things and one of those was a skull of a female from 1945. I don't have any <laughs> comments. Let's carry on. Right, 
So between February and July, the police had sifted through 6,500 tonnes of waste at the landfill. Corey's mother had publicly acknowledged that, you know, her son might never be found, but she did criticise the police's decision to hand the landfill site back to the owners and did actually seek an injunction to prevent the area where his remains were believed to be from being disturbed. And police were then criticised for not continuing the search as they had stated that it was not about the money um, that was being spent. So then, you know, they were like, well, if you've got the money to do it, why aren't you doing it? Former police officer had actually said the same. So if it's not about the money, then there's no reason that you couldn't have continued that search. And a forensic pathologist called Dr. Stuart Hamilton also stated that if Corey's body had been in the bin lorry and crushed, then its rate of decomposition would have been faster than normal for a human body. Therefore, it would be like imperative that they try to find his body as quickly as possible so they could still identify him. He also noted that there would be a lot of DNA cross contamination at this site because so many people were there searching. I'm sure like DNA is probably being transferred from different items of rubbish and things like that. My whole issue with this theory, I mean, I suppose you can't search a bin site forever, so I can understand why they stopped. They did search it for quite a long time. Maybe, you know, they seem to be getting closer and closer, so it seems a bit silly that they stopped because they were there at the right time. And if you know the body's decomposing, like, quicker than it should do because it's been crushed, to me, I'm like, right, we're going to search until we find something. But maybe... Thing is, like, if they're adamant that he's there, which they are, they're adamant that he climbed into that bin... And if you're managing to find things from the right area at the right time, why is he not there? And if you're so adamant that that's the correct theory, then why would you not continue searching until you find his body? That That's what I think. But my whole issue with the theory actually isn't to do with that. It's to do with the fact that how the hell do you mistake the weight of a landfill lorry by that much? It seems ridiculous. And I also was thinking then, have we invested, I'm sure they have, you know, followed all leads. And I think they say, sorry, leads. And I think they did say it was a genuine mistake on the part of the lorry driver, I believe. I'm, don't quote me on that, but I think that's what they've said. And you'd like to think they did look into it. But to me, that seems to be like a deliberate mistake. And I'm thinking like, they're so sure that he climbed into the bin. What if somebody put him into the bin? And what if, you know, what if the misrecording was deliberate? as a delay tactic or I don't I don't know to me it seems strange to, and I don't want to sound like I'm accusing the bin driver because I'm not but to me that just how can you just be like oh yeah it was a mistake by you know 80 kilos that it doesn't make sense and um I do wonder like why are they so sure that he decided to climb into the bin why are they not sure that somebody could have done something to him and put him in the bin you know especially like it does seem coincidental to me that Okay, say that he did climb into the bin and go to sleep. It does seem coincidental to me that that was just happened to be at the same time as that bin was getting collected. Do you know what I mean? Like, that would be a really series of unfortunate events. Whereas I, I can believe more that somebody maybe hurt him and put him in the bin because they knew that the bin was going to get collected that day, you know? But I don't know. That's just me thinking out loud to you guys. The day that the Suffolk Police actually, sorry, back back on it because I kind of went on a tangent then. But the day that Suffolk Police actually did wind down the case, Corey's mother and brothers appeared on Victoria Derbyshire's show. Um, she They highlighted that there were inconsistencies about the, you know, 
the data from the lorries, which we know. And it was actually his mother that said either the data was manipulated or somebody was lying to the police, which, go girl, 100%, you can't accidentally log 80 kilos wrong. It just doesn't know. That's not a thing. And if you are doing that, then you're not very good at your job, yeah. In 2017, January 2017, the back of a mobile phone was found close to the, the last signal from Corey's phone. So they found a back of a phone near where his phone last pinged. Um, but the part contained no essential components such as a SIM card or any electronic parts. So the police said that it would be impossible to link it with the disappearance and that no further analysis would be performed. Which is so annoying because it could have been his phone. We don't know. To me, with this whole thing, there's so there's that thing where you get biased, where you think something's happened, so you try to fit the narrative to fit what you think happened. And I just do wonder whether important things were missed in this case because they were so set on this bin theory and that they didn't they didn't look at anything else. I mean, I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm not accusing the police of anything here. But I just do wonder if. There was a bit of bias and maybe they did miss important things because they were so focused on the bin theory. So in October 2017, Suffolk Police did cave to some of the pressure and criticisms that they had and they did say that they would be conducting a second search of land. So this search would focus on the area adjacent to the previous search but is still believed to have contained waste from the time of Corey's disappearance. Why the hell didn't they do this before they called off the other search? I could see why his family were infuriated because this would, this would, this is a joke. They should have done this at the start, I'm sorry. Calling them out, should have done it at the start. So then, just to add a bit more salt to the wound, they closed the search down again in December of 2017. And this was after an independent review by a different specialist police unit in the area said, yeah, all the evidence points to him being at the landfill and the theory that he fell asleep in the bin holds up. So yeah, that's probably where he is. So that came out and was said, but despite that, they then wound down the search again, only two months later, not even two months later. <sighs> and then on the 26th of March, 2018, <laughs> so that's I was just like my despair at this. I just feel so sorry for the family. I don't know. I just can't, they were so close. Unless he wasn't there, of course, unless he wasn't there. Back to what I was trying to say. Suffolk Police announced on the 26th of March 2018 that the search for the missing airman would be stood down as there was no realistic lines of inquiry left. I mean, you still have, like, you know, the landfill site where you think his body is that needs searching more, but okay. They maintained that Corey went to sleep in a bin, it was emptied, he was crushed, and then either buried at the landfill or incinerated at Great Blakingham and maybe that's why they haven't found his remains. So the horrific conclusion was reached after police quizzed dust cart teams who confirmed the weight of the bin they collected on the day that he vanished was actually above average. So cause, you know, the average at the time, what the average bins in that area would normally be between 20 and 30 kilo, but this one was over 100 kilo, they said. That would amount for the weight of Corey, therefore it is likely that he was in the bin. But again, how are they so sure he voluntarily got in that bin? You can't be sure that he voluntarily climbed in a bin. Maybe he was in the bin. I'm not disputing that he wasn't in the bin. Because, you know, 
the weight would suggest, but how then also did you miss that that bin was so heavy? You'd think that they would have been like, oh shit, that was a heavy bin. Better uh, better look into that a bit more. But no, they were like, originally said, oh no, the bin was less than 20 kilo. And now they're saying, oh yeah, it would normally be between 20 and 30. So somebody just like writing stuff down and not not weighing. I don't know how bins work, how how biffer bins work. I don't know. But so many questions about that. I'm rambling about that. There's so many questions about that. My brain's working over time. So let's move on before I drive you guys insane and myself insane. So CCTV issues. In November 2016, it was revealed that 39 people could be seen on the same CCTV camera that Hori was last seen on. Despite repeated inquiries and appeals, 23 of these people could not be identified. Therefore, Suffolk considerately installed a pod at the Christmas Fair in Bury St Edmunds between the 24th and 25th of November 2016, where the public were encouraged to visit the pod to help establish the identities of 23 missing people, or not missing, but the people they couldn't account for. And by the 4th of December, 13 had been positively identified, which still leaves 10 people on CCTV with Corey that they don't know. Suspicious, in the words of Bailey Sarian. If you guys watched that murder mystery makeup show, you know what I'm on about. So, as the second anniversary of McKeith's disappearance approached, his mother revealed that the police only had CCTV footage on the Saturday morning up until 12 midday. She states that Corrie would could have got up from sleeping in the horseshoe area and left any time after the CCTV footage stops. But because they didn't have the full day of CCTV, they'd never know. And as the 28-day period for retaining CCTV imagery is long gone by this point, there was no way of ascertaining if Corey had actually left the area during the day. Seems strange to me. You think you would have... I mean, I know if I'm sleeping somewhere and I'm drunk, I'm passed out. So I could easily sleep till midday. So you think they would have they would have checked a bit more. Um, yeah. I suppose, like, it's manpower issues as well. They don't have the manpower to, like, do all of this, I guess. But it's just infuriating. It's not an excuse. On the 21st of September 2017, police revealed that there was four CCTV images of people who they said could have been witnesses to Corey's disappearance and they released these images. They set up a pod once again in Barry St. Evans Town Centre to appeal for information to try and get people to identify who these people were and hopefully get new lines of inquiry. But as far as I'm aware, that kind of didn't really come to anything. His mother, Corey's mother, did confirm in November 2018, so a year later, that on her last meeting with the police, she was shown some CCTV footage of people going in and out of the area that Corey disappeared, the horseshoe area, and all of the people in the footage were wearing dark clothes, apart from one who was wearing light-coloured trousers, the same colour that Corey was actually wearing on the night in question. So then it's like, is one of these four people on CCTV you're trying to identify actually Cory or somebody stolen his clothes? Like, strange, hey. Many, many questions. Because of the way that this was all handled, there was actually an inquest into the investigation of what happened to Corey. So the inquest was opened at Suffolk Coroner's Court and Chief Superintendent Marina Erickson from Suffolk Police said that Corey had been on the night out in Berry Edmund, was, quote, very drunk when he was asked to leave the Flex nightclub. She said that he was, quote, happy and friendly throughout the night 
and was last alive at 3.25 walking into a horseshoe-shaped area behind Greg's and Superdrug, where industrial waste bins were stored. She says, she goes on to say, a Biffa refuse lorry drove into the area less than an hour after the last sighting of Corey. The lorry's load weighed 116 kilograms, 70 to 80 kilograms more than average. But that didn't raise alarm bells. She didn't say that, I said that. She went on to say that the airman's mobile phone mapped the same route as the bin lorry to Barton Mills. She then went on to say that it was believed that Corey had climbed into the Greg's waste bin and was inside it when the bin was subsequently emptied into the Biffa lorry. And she ends by saying, quote, that was where he subsequently died. So Corey's father seems to have accepted this theory. He said in response, Corey is no longer missing. What we mean by that, that after looking at all the facts and evidence, we now know what happened to our son. We are certain he is somewhere in the Suffolk waste disposal system, but his remains are essentially irretrievable. He went on to say that police had visited the family in October and in February and said that the evidence was as thorough as it was compelling. He said that experts had concluded beyond any doubt that Corey had ended up in this waste disposal system. He said that accepting that conclusion has clearly not been easy for us, nor anybody else. But the remaining areas not covered in the inquiry are either too toxic to search or so vast that it could take years to do. So that's why they're no longer searching the landfill. He went on to say that his son's disappearance had been an unbelievable and horrific journey of grief and acceptance for the McKeague family. So there we have it. <sighs> I just don't know, guys. I mean, I'm not saying that's not what happened. Well, I am. I don't believe that happened. I just, I can't believe that that happened. And I know that the family have now said that, yeah, that's what's happened. There's lots of evidence pointing that way. And obviously, I can't comment because I haven't seen all of this evidence that they're referring to. Referring to. But they've said it was thorough and compelling. So that does make you think, well, if the experts are saying this, then they must have a lot of, oh, just hit my microphone, sorry. They must have a lot of evidence to convince the family who were so steadfast that that didn't happen for them to think it happened. But then, like I said before, are they just being a bit biased? Do they have all this evidence because they've put so much energy into making it fit this narrative that that's what's happened? And I don't want to like start speculating again, you know, to cause the family distress or anything like that. This is just, you know, something I find interesting and I just wanted to talk about and see other people's views on it. So, yeah, I um, I don't know. I'm not saying he wasn't in the bin, but I, what I don't get is there's no CCTV cameras there. They don't know what happened when he walked into that area. So how are they so sure he climbed into the bin? And if there was other people there at the same time, how, just how do you know nothing bad happened? And I'm not saying that to cause any distress, but that's just how my brain works. I'm just thinking, I don't know. I'm with his mother. If he just had a two-hour nap, why is he then walking to have another nap? And why climb into a bin to do it? I know people do do crazy things when they're drunk, but climbing into a bin just seems, just seems mad to me. But then if he was very intoxicated, he wasn't thinking straight, you don't know his chain of thought so yeah it's a bit of a wild one so yeah they've accepted he's no longer missing a, a missing person and he is actually at the landfill somewhere but they can't search i think that he probably is deceased he 
could be in the landfill. I don't believe he's missing. I think he has passed. But just, you know, something about this case just still has loads of questions to me. Um, and obviously that's because I can't see all of the evidence that they have. But, yeah, I'd be really interested to know what you guys think. I mean, do you know anyone who's climbed into a bin drunk? I mean, from my experience, I've not. So maybe that's why I find it so hard to believe. Um, but I do know a guy who tried to walk home along the motorway and fell asleep on a hard shoulder. So people do do crazy things when they're drunk, you know. Yeah, let me know what you think. I'd be interested to know if you guys agree with me or if you do believe the theory set forward by the police. I'd be really interested to know. I think after the Richie Edwards one last week, everyone had the same opinion that he actually did go off and start a new life. Everyone was on the same track. Um, actually, throughout these episodes, people have been on, on the same sort of track as me, even with the Catrice Lee one and things like that. So I'd be interested to see if you agree with me on this one or if you agree with the police because I think this one's a bit more controversial because obviously the family have said, yeah, this did happen. And yeah, I just want to conclude by saying I'm not, you know, like I've said, I'm not, I'm not bringing this up again. Like I don't know if the family would ever hear this, but I, I don't want to cause any offence or any distress. I just think it's a really interesting case. I hope I covered everything I needed to. So um, yeah, let me know what you think. I look forward to speaking to you guys again in a couple of weeks. I haven't decided what I'm going to do. It's as much as a surprise for me as it is you guys. I should probably be a bit more prepared and have a list going, but I don't know. I just, I like to research these and then I end up down a rabbit hole, which is what I did with this, because I knew loosely about this from when it happened. I was serving in the armed forces at the time, so I remember this happening. Um, and I remember, you know, hearing about the bin thing and being like, no chance. And I didn't know, I heard about the... Um, dead body in the suitcase but I didn't realize they had confirmed that wasn't him so I'd always thought yeah no his phone was in the bin but he wasn't there but anyways yes thank you for listening if you've made it this far sorry I've been rambling a bit towards the end here and throughout but like I said last episode these cases I do a bit of research and then the first time I talk about it is to you guys on this podcast and then my brain works overtime and I just I think whilst I'm talking to you so let me know if it's annoying <laughs> I'll try and stop doing it and be a bit more factual but I, I um sorry yeah that's how my brain works let me know okay be interesting to hear what you guys think leave a comment send me a message as you always do and I'll speak to you soon